Welcome to The Agenda, the gen-based podcast. I'm Jen Golbeck. And I'm Jen Coleslaw. And today we're talking about, I guess, an honorary gen and and kind of things that go with it. So we're going to talk about Kate Spade and rites of passage. And this is a thing we sort of stumbled onto just when we were texting, but we got a lot to say about, it seems like. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because you and I were talking about it when um, one of the dogs ate your shoe. Kate Spade shoes. Your Kate Spade shoe. And I asked you if you had the Kate Spade um, gene, you know, if you, yeah. <laughs> if you had the, the Kate Spade was the thing that you got when, when you realized you were a grown up, right? Like, yeah. um, Kate Spade was, uh, when I was young, cause I'm a little older than you. Um, she just had bags and yeah. handbags. And, uh, even though I got a coach bag from my sister when I was a grown up. Um, my first real job, I bought myself a Kate Spade bag and I bought it on eBay and it wasn't even a leather bag because all I could afford was one of her cloth bags. It was one of her totes with the um, the little bow on it. And it was when I realized I was a grown up making my own money, making my own way in the world. And And you and I were talking about that. And about how important Cape Spade was in your professional life as well. Yeah. And um, and how sad we were when she died. It, it was like a very, I, I generally don't feel like a big emotional connection to like celebrities and public figures that I don't actually know. But uh, I was profoundly affected by that. I think exactly because of what you're saying that like, she played such this role in my visible presence as like a, a pseudo public figure and also just like feeling who I am as a grown up. And uh, yeah, I, I was very affected when she died. And I'm the same way. I, I don't tend to have, I think I do a little bit more now that we've been isolating and I'm on social media more, but I don't never had one of those, what do they call it when you have those weird relationships with people that you don't know? Parasocial. Yes. I, I never had that. I was never really interested in that. Never was interested in celebrity gossip. But there was something about Kate Spade. It was like she was everyone's big sister. Mm -hmm. And um, like straight out of a like a rom-com kind of movie, right? <laughs> Where she was the big sister that always made things right for you. And um. And I just, I, 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 I mean, I, I totally remember that bag, uh, which I don't have anymore because a cat ultimately peed on it and you oh. can't get cat pee out of fabric very well. But, um, but I, I, I thought about rites of passage like that, that I think it's very different for women. Um, when we realize that we're on our own, we're making our own money, we're making our own decisions, you know, we're. We're paying our own health insurance. We're, you know, we have our, our, our name is in the phone book. And I touched a little bit of, of this, I think, in one of my last podcasts of uh, Sidecar were um, about, about belonging, you know, mm -hmm. about realizing that you fit in somewhere. And having that Cape Spade bag said to me, you fit into the world 
into the working world. Um, and, um, and I know that you love your Kate Spade dresses and shoes and little bags. And didn't the New York Times write a, have a whole story about you yeah. and your Kate Spade? I For think sure. You tell us all about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, so we, we will talk specifically about Kate Spade's death later in the podcast, but it's, it's like, I've got a very particular kind of aesthetic of, of how I want to look, which is like a little bit retro and it's like super femme and it's a little glam, but a little quirky. And when I discovered that Kate Spade made a lot of these dresses, right? Kind of like fuller skirt. They all kind of have the same silhouette. And it was very hard to find that in a lot of places. Um, I really got drawn into that. Like I had had the first bag that I bought, like as a grown up, like just like you did. Um, The shoes that Remy ate were, you know, on reflection, I, they were the first going out shoes that I bought after I got divorced, I didn't have any like grown up clothes when I was married because I was in grad school and I bought those. I have replaced them. One of the golden ratio followers found a pair on eBay for 25 bucks. <laughs> Amy Roan, cookie correspondent. Amy, thank you. They're here. Uh, I need to get the heel tips replaced on them, but they're great. So, so I haven't really lost them. Um, but the dresses were, but those were like nice things to have and, and kind of made me feel like a a grown up, but the dresses really became like my uniform as someone who is like presenting to the public, um, whether that's teaching or whatever. And so when I did my first Ted talk, which was at the end of 2013, and that's the big one, I, you know, we talk sometimes about like dividing moments in your life, like the thing before there's the time before that thing happened. And then the time after. And for me, it's when that Ted talk went online. Like I actually had given it a few months before that. Um, but they do this whole production process and it went up. And when the Ted talk went up, it was like, if you went to Ted.com, it was the featured talk on the homepage on the day that it went up and it got like 2 million views overnight and opened a zillion doors that had been closed. So it's, it's one of those very clear before and after times. Um, so, so it was my first real experience going viral And when I did that talk, I wore one of the Kate Spade dresses, which was not like at all the standard Ted uniform. Mm -hmm. Um, But Ingo, actually, we were just dating at the time. And I was like, I don't know what to wear. Should I wear this? Should I wear this? And he's like, put that that dress on. And that's the one that I wore. Um, And then about a year after the Ted talk came out, uh, the New York Times style section did a piece on how to go. I think how, what to wear to go viral. And it was about people who had viral Ted talks and what they wore that was sort of like a little different than what most people did. Um, so yeah, th- I was in there and I just pulled the article up actually from 2015 and it's like, what did you wear? And I said, I wore my Kate Spade dress and I have a whole closet full of Kate Spade dresses and it's really my uniform. So I was like saying exactly the same thing that like you and I are talking about now. Um, And one fun little side note about this, I was so excited, right? Like of all the places I expected to be, the New York Times style section was not the place. Like that is usually for much wealthier people wearing much fancier things than, you know, my $200 dress. Um, And so it came out and I tweeted about it at the time. I think it was Twitter. Maybe it was Facebook, but I posted about it. I shared it all over the place. And uh, this ex-boyfriend of mine, like ex at the time, 
came in and was like, I thought TED Talks were supposed to be about substance and not style. Snap. I know. And uh, and this friend that that I have, uh, his name is Mecca Okareke. He is he works at Google. He's the head of uh, Google Play, I think. Right. Like the whole Google store experience, you know, you buy movies, apps, whatever. He's in charge of that. So he's like a high powered dude. He's also like a like competitive power lifter. Like he's just like this massive guy. Um, so and can you go smash that ex-boyfriend? He, he could like pick that, bo- that ex-boyfriend up who is like a, you know, a skinny kind of dude with like two fingers and like carry him away. And I don't even remember exactly what he said. Uh, but he came in and just like gave a proper smackdown to that boyfriend. Like, oh, here you are, like trying to like pretend like she doesn't have any substance and like raining on her parade and not celebrating her accomplishments. And I was like, Mecca, you are my hero. Like, thank you. Because like, I can't say that to the boyfriend, right? Like, it doesn't mean the same thing as coming from some other dude. Like, oh, you're just in here, like trying to fuck shit up. Like, why are you doing that? Um, Just a little side note, but love to Mecca who really stepped up and, and put that guy in his place. I think I, I blocked the ex-boyfriend. We should make that. him an honorary gen. Mecca for sure can yeah. be an honorary gen. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, so it, and you know, it continues to be my professional wardrobe. You know, I go around and I do all these talks now, you know, less since COVID, but still, and I've got a whole closet full of basically entirely Kate Spade dresses and I love them. Well, it's a good segue into this this piece that I pulled out from the New York Times from the style section at the time, 2018, when Kate Spade died. The style editor had this to say, she represented not just a terrific talent who built an idea about handbags into what became a billion-dollar brand, but a critical figure in the continuum of women who have defined fashion in the United States designers who thought about what other women like her would want in their closets and later in their homes and who solved that problem without elitism. Yeah. But high fashion is often aesthetically challenging and comes with its own velvet rope-like barriers to entry, while neither Ms. Spade's style nor her price points turned people away. They welcomed them in. They were not neurotic or conflicted or fraught with existential angst. They were fun, and they were also fur-free before it became trendy. The name on the label was lowercase for a reason. Women who bought her products could imagine being her friend. Oh, that's so true. And it is true. I remember when, when she died, I messaged my friend Kate, who I worked with at my job job and lives in Maryland and was a big Kate Spade fan as well. And I said, and was, is not a big internet fan. And I said, look, I have some bad, bad news for you. And I told her and she, she and I talked about how when she got graduated from her, from college and got her first job, she got the Kate Spade bag. Like it's, it, it more than anything else I can think of, it is the thing that women you know, 10 years between you and me that they got, you know, um, probably, you know, white girls from the suburbs, (laughs) right. Who moved to the city, get a Kate Spade bag and, um, and Kate Spade dresses. I, I don't have any Kate Spade dresses. I don't think, I, I think I probably feel like I'm a little old, um, 
course, I never even get dressed up anymore. But, um, you know, in my work, I don't, I usually look kind of like I just came in from picking up a lot of trash outside when I, <laughs> when I go do a talk. So I get taken seriously because that's my industry. But um, I just, I really was, I felt broken inside um, because I felt like I had lost a good friend. Um, and, and the, and the crazy thing is that she, and she hadn't owned that company for a while. Yeah. You know, she had sold it to, um, to Liz Liz Claiborne, I think. And then, um, and then it became something else and she started another company and, and, you know, but still it, the Kate Spade still looks like she had her hand in it and she's been gone for what, five, six years. Yeah. And um, I just really, really love it. And I think that um, the last line of that article was, each piece promised to brighten a room or an outfit, quite literally, thanks to their color scheme. And the assumption was, Kate Spade, the person, would too. Yeah. And, uh, And it certainly speaks to my needing to feel like I belong to something. Um, that isn't elitist or snotty or wealthy or, um, you know, $30,000 pocketbook, yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll get to that later. But, but, you know, to belong to something that I would want to be a part of. And that yeah. was Kate Spade. And, and there's not a lot of things that I can say that about that are commercial capitalism nonsense right like that's real different it i mean it's uh, everything from that line whether it was the bags or the shoes or whatever it was like playful and fun and colorful and it had personality and it it's not that like other things didn't too and and look i mean like i can go on the kate spade website now which i still do all the time i just bought a whole bunch of stuff from there um I just discovered their like surprise clearance oh, section. Yes. Kate Spade surprise. I just, why did I not know about it? I don't know, but I found it. Yeah. It's so good. I've bought, I've bought like a bunch of things from there in the last week. So there's stuff that I like, nah, I don't like that, but I don't think it's bad or it's not that I don't understand it. Right. I just go like that. That one's not exactly my style where there's other brands that are sort of like at a similar price point and like maybe colorful or whatever, but whatever it's covered with logos Mm -hmm. or it's, you know, it's not really about you. Then it's about you having it. And the, and the Kate Spade stuff felt like it's more about like allowing me to be myself. Does that make sense? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's not about, it's not about, it's about Kate Spade was about you, you know, being you with a Kate Spade bag versus joining the masses with a logoed thing. Yeah. You said it better, but, but I, it just, it was a whole different, I can't think of a really another brand that has so consistently, like there's lots of brands that I love. You and I talked a little bit about J crew. Um, I have a couple suits from J crew that I absolutely love, but they, they change. Yeah. You know, they, you know, and, and, and I don't begrudge a brand for changing with the times, but then they can't ask me to stay. 
Right. Um, but with the, you know, like I can go on that Kate Spade website or go to the Kate Spade outlet here and always find something that I, that, that 30 year old Jen loved and current age Jen loves. Just and probably 80 year old Jen will love. Right. And, right? um, I, and I just, I think that's a, just a great thing. And, and I think about like, I'm trying to think if I, I actually think that when, when I always gave Alex sunglasses, Ray-Bans um, for big monumental events mm-hmm. because she's never been a handbag person. She's a backpack person. And so she's always gotten sunglasses, but that's another thing. Ray-Bans is another thing where I've always, that's a brand. When I bought myself my first pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses, and of course they had to be prescription because I've been blind all this time. <laughs> but, um, but I just, I think about how much I really love that, um, that, that whole Kate Spade, Kate Spade thing. And, and, and I, when I bought my bag, it was when I had been working at Brown, I had been working at Brown as a secretary and, and, um, I got a real job working for a nonprofit and through the work that I did with this nonprofit, I was appointed to a seat on the city plan commission, which is a big deal. Um, and I think I, I think that's when I bought my bag because I knew that I had kind of made it. Mm-hmm. And, um, do you remember what it looked like? It, it was Brown, mm-hmm. um, kind of a dull Brown. And it was um, like a flat matte fabric finish, but it had patent leather straps and it was a tote. Um, it probably would have held my MacBook Air, yeah. but not my MacBook Pro. Um, and it had little feet. Like that was like the, that's like how you knew you had a good bag is it had little feet. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like all my good bags have little feet. Um, and it had the the Kate Spade bow across the, the middle of it. And I think it may have had one outside pocket and then it had like one divider on the inside and it was brown on polka dot, maybe brown polka dots on the inside. And I remember I took it no matter what I was wearing. I took that bag to those city plan commission meetings because the press was always there. And um, this is both a story about how I knew I made it and didn't make it all at the same time. (laughs) And so there was, you know, it was like the eight, what was it? 2004 to 2008, I guess, was the time that I was on the city plan commission. And... um, it was a time when there was a lot of development in the city, tons of developments. Everything was coming before us. And um, I guess I must not have been feeling very good one night. And the press was there and I got, my picture was in the Providence Business News. And the next day I got a call at my office from this woman saying, hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm with the women in business and I'm wondering if I could come talk to you. And I thought she was like recruiting me for this like women in biz- in Providence business 
it was like a multi-level marketing thing. She was trying to sell me makeup because I looked so shabby. Oh no. Oh, that's so terrible. It was so, I was so, I remember like sitting there, she came to my office with like her toolbox full of like face putty and, and like, and I like sat through the whole thing because I was too mortified to say anything. Um, and she was really nice, but she was not any kind of like, she just wanted to sell me like $500 worth of makeup and facial stuff. And it was pretty mortifying, but at least after that, I never went to those meetings without at least like having my hair combed. (laughs) I mean, this I think this is very in line with the story that we're telling, though, right? Like, there's expectations and there's... Like, yeah. Kate Spade yeah. would not have done that to me. No, that's she would not, no. She would have, like, <laughs> read the riot act to that lady. <laughs> Who do you think you are? She can go to that meeting looking like she's doing her work. But, yeah, I, think... I, was, I was pretty mortified. And now I'm, I'm more careful, you know, like, I'm more careful. Yeah. I try to be a little bit more put together at a meeting, especially if I think that there are going to be pictures taken, it's going to be in the newspaper, or if I'm going to have to, you know, like, I, I'm always, I always have a quote. I always have, like, mm-hmm. a really, a couple really tasty quotes. But I don't always look like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, it's- so... It's so interesting. Like when I was a grad student, so I finished my PhD in 2005. So we're actually talking like right around the same era, you know? And, and when I was a grad student for a while, like I was just dressing like a student and I would, I taught a ton. I mean, that's how I put myself through a lot of grad school and supported myself. And, you know, I would wear whatever jeans and t-shirts or whatever I normally would wear to go teach in. And there was one semester where I was teaching at George Washington and I was like, I'm going to try dressing like a grown up, Right. And, and like got myself some very inexpensive, but like, you know, like knee length skirts and, and sweaters and like a little more upscale. And the difference in the way that those students treated me showing up in, you know, whatever, a $20 skirt and a, a sweater from the gap versus like jeans and, and whatever I normally wear was like profound. And was this like real lesson to me? Like, oh, like, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be this outfit, but it makes a huge difference in the way that I'm presenting myself, even though it literally was identical content that I was teaching between the semesters. Like it made this big difference in how they treated me. And you know, you had talked about J. Crew, which we had both noted down. When I, f- it was when I finished my PhD, because I was, I know I was getting divorced, which I did the summer. I finished my PhD in like April, and I started getting divorced that summer. But my ex was with me, and I was going to get a Christmas tree. So it must have been like November of two thousand five, like re- shortly after I had graduated, and I or maybe December, but I, I had gone to J crew and there was this like wool toggle coat with a hood, right? It's or I have one. It's orange. It's orange. It's the same one. I'm going gonna... to dig the picture out and send it. I know I have a picture of me like carrying the Christmas tree. I still have mine. Cause oh my God. I, I got divorced the year that year too you know and i, I didn't know that they it then and it was so cold and i didn't bring a coat i went to j crew and bought that coat 
that oh my god all right we're gonna find do you do you think you have a picture of your of it oh you have the coat you can take a picture of it can't get rid of anything (laughs) all right so i i tried that coat on and i could not afford it at the time i tried it on and i remember like texting with my mom and being you know we I think at that point we were, we were actually an AOL instant messenger. I used AOL instant messenger until they shut it down. And I messaged her, which I did almost every night. And I was like, yeah, you know, we went to J crew tonight and I tried on this jacket and I looked at myself in the mirror at, at the store. And it was like seeing this entirely different version of myself that was totally put together. Like it was very profound seeing myself in that coat but it i could not afford it and i think she bought it for me i maybe as an early birthday present and i i wore it until it was threadbare that's why i don't have it anymore um but but it was like like having that item that makes you feel like oh like i am assembled like i i am now a put together person and i maybe don't even necessarily feel like that but i look like it like that's so important and and j crew can give you those things and i you know, I, I had a similar moment with a, a suit. I think we both had those suits and I've still got some that look great. I wear them like when I have to go to court for expert witnessing stuff. But but like Kate Spade also gave you a version of that, right? Mm-hmm. That had, I think, a little more personality. Like J. Crew had those like great basics and sometimes like with some really interesting stuff. But Kate Spade always was like the personality turned up version of that. So it was like more you than like a uniform, but also like gave you that feeling. Legitimacy. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, like exactly legitimacy it. with a little flair. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it makes me sad. Like I have like so many guy friends, right. And you're one of the only girlfriends I have. Same. Like, female friends. But I think about all of my my male friends, and I don't remember any of them from childhood through college, graduate school, past graduate school work, having those kinds of like clothing makes the man moments because mm-hmm. they didn't need to. Yeah, like, that's not right. That I'm trying to like you know, like smash the patriarchy here. But I mean, they, that's one of their privileges of being a dude is that, that you can be a professor at an Ivy league school and wear a t-shirt and jeans and get all of the, the respect than if you showed up wearing tweed, you know? Yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I think that was the model for me, right? Like I was showing up like that because all the computer professor, computer science professors were men and they dressed in a, a wide range of shabby, but no one was showing. Like I, I remember being shocked going to the business school, right? The professors were in suits at the business school, but never in computer science. And so I never encountered professors dressing up right? So I just like mm-hmm. dressed like all these, all these guys and it didn't get me that respect. And then when I did start dressing more like somebody from a business school, right? Then, uh, then I got that legitimacy, but you didn't need to do it if you were a guy. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a crazy thing and it's unfortunate. And I wonder how it, it impacts, um, you know, the, the, quote unquote, the kids that are just getting out there now who are doing all of their meetings on Zoom, 
mm-hmm. and whether or not I, I'd be interested to know whether or not younger women and men get the same kind of attention in digital spaces than they would if they were in physical spaces. Yeah. Cause you can't, it, you, even if you're dressed from the waist up, but like it doesn't convey the same than if you're. It, I, I have to think it doesn't. And I would, I hope that young women don't lose places. Like I love working from home, but I hate zoom so much. <laughs> um, I, if someone says, can you meet in real life? I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. You know, if it's a big enough room and we could sit far enough apart and you don't have COVID, I'm there because I do so much better in real life when I can like see who's paying attention to what I'm saying and talk with my hands. And I just, I'm, I'm over, I'm over the zoom. So, and dress up, I can dress up in something. Like, I think that Ben said to me the other day, after all this time, he said, I can't believe that I'm admitting this, but I think I'm now more productive at the office. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, cause he, so he has to go in one day a week, but he was in two days last week. And he said, I can't believe how much I got done. Yeah. You know, and that gets him dressed and showered and have a collared shirt on and pants. <laughs> Well, we went up um, for very close followers of my alt socials. Ingo and I went up to Miami, I guess, last weekend um, because we I was we were supposed to do something else. We we ended up with a dog sitter and I was like, we're going to get dressed up. We're going to go out. This is the thing I generally don't do because I'm so covid cautious. I'm like, we're going to go to this restaurant. We're going to get like the earliest reservation. I keep the mask on except when I'm like putting the food in my mouth. It's, you know, I don't do very much, but I'm like, it's relatively safe. And there was like hardly anybody there when we went, but like he got to put a suit on, which he deeply misses doing, I think, because he would wear a full suit and tie and everything to work every day and really liked it. So he got to put a suit on, even though you don't wear ties in Miami. And I bought a fancy dress and that was uh, really cute. Wait, once this podcast is off, I'm going to show you the dress that I tried to buy that didn't arrive. It finally arrived. Uh, It's like right over there. So I'll show it to you in the camera when we're done. Uh, But thank you. I love the dress that we got. And it it was like so fun to get dressed up. And and I say, you know, even when I've done these in-person speaking events, which I was doing you know, almost one a week before COVID. And now there's, you know, they're sort of coming back. Like, the first one I did, which was probably, it was, everyone was vaccinated, but things were just sort of trickling back, like early 2021. Um, I I did one and it was all masked and super socially distanced, but I was putting on the Kate Spade dress and she was in the hotel room, this thing that I hadn't done for like, you know, t- almost two years. And I was like a little weepy, like getting ready. Cause it's like, this is a thing. This was like so much that part of getting dressed was so much part of like my professional persona that, uh, you know, I don't have to do it anymore on zoom and I don't really have to do it on campus. Right. I have a different kind of wardrobe there, but, um, yeah, I missed it. And I definitely missed the fancy dress up, which is what the Kate Spade shoes that Remy ate were here for. They were here for me to go to Miami that weekend and, uh, ended up buying way more expensive shoes and a different dress and it all worked out. Well, thank goodness Remy had his savings account to 
to pay to pay for those red shoes that I bought. I don't want to talk about how expensive they were. I'm going to wear them a lot to make it worth you're it. Gonna make, get, you're going to make the money back by wearing them to events. One event will more than and more go. than ten tenfold over will pay for those shoes. But still, um, it it was very fun to buy them. I had a good time. There was a French lady bringing me shoes in like a very fancy store and telling me how great I looked, and it was a really good time. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I, you yeah. know, I haven't been clothes shopping in so long and it feels so, I don't know. I guess I feel so weird. I just wonder if we'll ever get back to any kind of time where, I mean, Ben and I have been out to dinner. Well, twice. Yeah. This is our third time. Yeah. I mean, other than eating outside, right. But our third right. fancy dinner since COVID. We used to do it like once a month, at least once a month. This is our third one. That's so weird. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait till I don't have to worry about getting sick. I know. Me too. Me too. All right, but th that's like a whole, we're going to get angry again. Other, I know. That's a whole <laughs> other thing. That, but, uh, but, and, but so let's see. So, yeah. um, um, where were we talking about? Oh, so I will say that when I was in college, I did not have the right wardrobe to be on the debate team. Mm. Um, you know, I came, came from limited means growing up. Yeah. Um, and, um, and plus, you know, when I worked with my father and I worked, my summer jobs were all, you know, I just got dirty all the time. Like I never had a job where I had to dress up. Yeah. And, um, uh, but I was on the debate team and I needed dress up clothes because, we had to dress in like business clothes yeah, for these tournaments. So my mother bought me a dress and I mean, she probably paid a hundred dollars for it, which is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and it was a Liz Claiborne dress, which was at the time was probably like, kind of like the Kate Spade of, but it was definitely aging. Yeah. Like a shirt dress with a long sleeve with like the sleeve had a little bit of a puff and um and it was red with like a little pattern and a little belt and it was it was awful yeah i felt like somebody's <laughs> matron on mm -hmm. in it and um and and everybody else all the other women who debated were wearing like like twin sweater sets and, um, you know, preppy kilted skirts, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe pleated skirts, um, or, uh, or woolen jumpers with like a turtleneck or when it was springtime, maybe like something with an Izod on it, Izod sweater. And I just like never fit in. Yeah. And I was, I was not the best debater, but I was one of the better public speakers. And so I put all of my energy into the public speaking part of the tournament. And so, you know, I made my way that way, but it, I never had the right wardrobe for that. And I didn't have the right pedigree. I didn't go to the right school. I never fit in with any of the other women that were on the debate team. I ended up hanging around with the, with, you know, the guys from Colgate who were like renegades. <laughs> um, and, and that was fine, but 
but it was definitely, I never belonged. Never, yeah. ever. And, uh, and I think that, you know, when I finally dropped out of school and worked and, and, you know, f- went back to school, got a real job, that's when I started to realize how easy it was to make your own belonging. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this a lot when you were talking about this on the two chocolate cakes or on the sidecar podcast, right? Like belonging to things. Cause I had a lot of that feeling too. And I, I think, uh, I mean, there's many things to say about how I grew up, but my parents were definitely sort of alternative, not like in the hippie way, but in their own way. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so I definitely like never fit in with anything in any way, like growing up in that town that I grew up in and, and very much felt and was made to feel so right. That, that I didn't belong to anything and also didn't have the strong sense of belonging to my family either, which I know like substitutes for some people and also never had the white, right wardrobe, you know, didn't have the money to buy whatever that would have been. Um, and, and I think for me, you know, I went to the university of Chicago, which is a very elite place and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to go there. And it made me seem like I belonged in a, a sort of league that I don't know that I did. I mean, I guess I earned my way in there, so that's fine, but it opened a lot of those opportunities that I think, all that other kind of belonging that privilege gets you got a lot of other people in different ways, Mm -hmm. right? Like I got there through that and I still, you know, like you and I have talked about this, right? Like I'm getting this master's degree now from Harvard and I love, I love what I'm doing. Like it's in psychology. Every class I take is amazing. I'm learning so much. It's relevant to my work. I could get that master's degree for free at the university of Maryland right? Like right. I, it is free for me to get those. Why am I doing it at Harvard where I'm paying for tuition? Because uh, one, for all the public stuff I do, it's going to look better for me to have that Harvard credential. And I want it. Can I be right. honest? Like I want it. I love wearing my Harvard sweatshirts around the house. I mean, not just because it makes fun of Ingo. who <laughs> went to Harvard for undergrad. No, and it's like, a little, like to do. It's, I mean, that itself is so fun. Um, but like, it's a really good time that I get to wear like the big H sweatshirt around. And, and there's like a, uh, like I, I now understand like some of the conflicted feelings Ingo has about it. Right. Cause there's a whole like weird elitism and, and whatever that goes with that, which I am like not really about, but also like, it's a fun club to be in, but also there's things I hate about it, mm-hmm. but like it matters for a lot of things. And, th- and that's complicated. And I think that that goes to what we were saying about like women having to dress up and like you get that sense of belonging and that that like you fit there and you seem legitimate and like we shouldn't have to have that. But also it's fun like when you get it. You yeah, know? I mean, absolutely. I mean, you and I have talked about I've been trying to find I love learning. Right. So, yeah, uh, this is the longest I've gone between degrees. And so I've been looking to get like a certificate program in something and I wanted to do something in like food history. And so I threw a bunch of, of options your way. And one of them was at Harvard Yeah, for the same reason, because people will ask me to come talk about food sustainability and environmental stuff 
if I have Harvard on my CV versus if I have, you know, something not Harvard. Yeah. It, it matters. It, it doesn't even matter if I learn anything. I mean, it Absolutely. Matter, but, but it, it, it. Like the credential it, has a value totally independent of the work. Yes. Yeah. And you hope that you get as much out of the school that the credential gets you. you yeah. Know, like uh, when I did my graduate work at Harvard, at Norwich University, I knew that having a military school master's was going to get me far down here. Yeah. And I, that was a great program. So it worked out great. But even if it hadn't, it didn't matter because saying that I went to military school, even though I was a civilian, opens a lot of doors in Washington, D.C. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, my LinkedIn is very clearly a bleeding heart, liberal, environmental, crazy person. And I still get recruited by pe- just because my undergraduate and graduate degrees are from Norwich. Yeah. So because I belong to that. Yeah. It's 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 the meme where it's like, and yet you live in society. Interesting. Right? <laughs> like, could we make this better? Because some of this is bullshit. And, but like, also, we're doing it because like, also, it matters. Like, right. you know, there's a certain point at which you can like reject all of that. But like you sacrifice for it. Um, but also, like, I'm getting so much out of it, like all of the elite because my PhD is from Maryland. Right. So I have a public school PhD. And then like, and it's the Maryland computer science department is a, you know, top 10 in the world program. It's a great program, but it's a public school. And then I've got these other like very elite school credentials. And, uh, I have loved and gotten so much out of my very elite school programs, you know, like it, it has been not just like, oh, it's the same. Right. I mean, I, like, I learned a ton at Maryland, but like the, the students that I was with and the way the classes were taught and all is like really different at the, at those elite schools and including the classes that I teach at Maryland. Um, well, one of these days we'll have to do a podcast on one of the things you and I talked about. And that was the, um, the, there's somebody in your class that's doing like cooking through grief. Yeah. We should do a podcast. We should. That. Cause I'm yeah. really interested in that. We totally should. So just to to fill that blank in for people listening. So I took a class on grief at Harvard last semester. Um, so the psychology of grief and, uh, and everybody had to do a presentation on like anything related to grief, like a particular cultural tradition or, you know, I did mine on grieving the loss of dogs, which is a thing I've been thinking a lot about. And, uh, and someone did cooking through grief and it, it was fascinating and we should totally do like a whole agenda on that. Um, because she did some really interesting stuff, but also I think you and I probably have a lot to talk about. Yeah. And because I think that that's a lot of that is what I'm sort of looking for in getting more education for myself about how how food heals people, you know, how it, it can be used to help people through issues, things like that. So that I've been trying to find a good program that, I, you know, that's affordable. But anyway, this is a great transition, actually, (laughs) because we have been alluding to the fact that Kate Spade has died and we've got more details on that in the agenda that we haven't gotten to yet. That's right. So for those of you who are not Kate Spade people, she committed suicide in 2018, in June of 2018. 
um, leaving um, a daughter and an estranged husband that she was still very close to. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had battled depression and, and, and it, I guess it got, I don't know what the rights, I don't know what the right words are for saying when people are not able to keep up with the depression when they, yeah. when they slip beneath the waves. Um, but, uh, it, it really shocked a lot of people because she always seemed so happy and vibrant, you know, and yeah. vibrant and, and, um, and friendly and all of the things that you never expect. And then just three or four days later, Anthony Bourdain, who was another person that I didn't have a parasocial relationship with, but was probably the only celebrity food person that I had any respect for at all. Yeah. Um, absolutely a flawed human being, but a really interesting flawed human being also killed himself. And when you and I were talking about Kate Spade, I started thinking about people who, um, who, who showed their authentic selves and, and then still felt like it wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason that they were, they, that they wasn't enough in their lives. Um, Cause of course we only see part of, of anybody, mm-hmm. right? Even the people we're really close to, we only see a little bit of, of their, their real life. But one of the things that I really liked about um, Anthony Bourdain was, um, and, and, you know, I, all of my podcasts are about food, basically. So I talk about food a lot. And I certainly have a history in food from being married to a chef and having two brothers-in-law who were chefs and my sisters in food service. And my mother was in food service when I was growing up. So I kind of grew up in food service and it was never anything that I thought about as a career because it's brutal. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely brutal. And so many people who work in food service are just assholes, especially (laughs) chefs. And you know, I, I don't really hold any celebrity chefs up, um, but Anthony Bourdain, like, made um, he he made cooking. He opened the door, right? He like took the yeah. mystery out of it and said, "Look how shitty this is. Look how <laughs> awful this life is." You know, he was a junkie. He drank too much. He smoked a lot. He just like opened that door and took away all of the mystery. And um, and then he basically left kitchens and then went to other people's kitchens and highlighted the good work that they were doing all over the world. And he made food accessible and interesting and he made street food fabulous, you yeah. know. And so I sort of feel like he was kind of the Kate Spade of food because suddenly it wasn't about you know, foam on top of a sliver of some kind of rare poisonous fish that you can only (laughs) eat the left cheek of, otherwise you'll (laughs) die of poisoning. You know, he was eating, you know, food in Cambodia or Thailand or, you know, the middle of the country. And he was talking about it. He was learning about it and he was teaching other people about it. And 
he was clumsy and he said insensitive things sometimes and he was he was an asshole but um he was a work in progress and i think the key word here is progress like he was yeah. trying to be a better person mm-hmm. and uh, we need more people like that yeah i i mean i i I remember the outpouring that people had for Anthony Bourdain and I just like had not, you know, I, I obviously knew who he was and had seen some of his stuff, but hadn't connected to him in the way that a lot of other people did. Um, but it felt like a similar kind of thing where it wasn't like, it wasn't this like pure parasocial, Oh, the celebrity that I really liked died and I'm sad about it kind of thing. I mean, I'm sure for some people it was that, but I think these are, both of them are people who, who kind of represented, I don't know, like moments of, of understanding new things about yourself and the world for people and, and brought that to them, you know, in really different spaces, but in similar kind of ways, right. Where you go like, Oh, like I hadn't thought about this thing actually being that important or interesting, but now that like I've been shown that I can connect to it this way and be part of it in this way. Like, I feel like I've opened up this new space. I think both of them kind of did that. And so it felt like a, a similar loss for people who were kind of fans of both of them. And to lose them in similar ways. Yeah, like I, I think that it was a, it became, I think it came as a shock. And I think it rocked people to their cores. You know, I think more, I, I don't think I was surprised because having been in the food service world for as long as I was, I saw the damage that it did to people. So, yeah. I, but I think that people were so rocked by his passing his his suicide that they they could just couldn't believe it and i think i was reacting to a lot of other people's reaction yeah um, and because they really looked to him as being this not someone who was above reproach because i, I don't think a lot of people felt that way because he mm-hmm. was he was he did say a lot of stupid things. Um, and I think he knew that he acknowledged he knew, that too, right? Yeah. yeah. And he, and he tried to walk back some things, but not in a way that hid those things. Like people who like, like if he was on social media now, he wouldn't have deleted bad comments, right? He'd leave them up so that people would remember that he said those bad things and that he was trying to do better. That's like, that's the kind of person that I think that he would be. Uh, I could be totally wrong though. So who knows? But um, I, I think there are people like that in the world who genuinely are sorry for the things that they say and do sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, rather than just disappear for a month and then come back and pretend everything's fine. There's yeah. a lot of that going around I think, <laughs> on the socials. But but I think that I, I think I was feeling some feeling everyone's collective grief at losing him. Um, I think I think probably a lot more people knew Anthony Bourdain than knew Kate Spade. Although I think yeah. every single woman between the ages of like forty and sixty knows who Kate Spade is. Yeah. Um, and but I but certainly all of the dudes um, that were just like they didn't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. And I mean. 
I think about how I'm not sure that Anthony Bourdain is what got Ben interested in cooking, but I mean, it certainly spawned, I think, a lot of of cooking YouTubes and and cooking videos and people feeling like comfortable about trying new things. And, um, you know, there's, I mean, I, I'm on like cooking TikTok all the time and people are always just, you know, shouting out other nationalities, other yeah. countries food in a good way and, and talking about how cool it is and, you know, I sort of feel like he, he kind of started that whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, even though he did say things that some of us would be like, Oh no, like, like, don't do that. Like, don't say that thing. And, and was insensitive and was a work in progress. When you talk to, to immigrants, right. Especially Asian immigrants, um, who are say in their like thirties now, they go, you know, growing up was so hard because people would look at what we ate and they would be like, that's disgusting. Like, I can't believe you eat that. That's so gross. Like, what even is that thing? Like, not not just Asian immigrants, but especially them. Mm-hmm. And and now they're like, all these white people are coming along and being like, oh, do you know this thing I tried? And they're, they're kind of like claiming all of this, um, which is its own problem, right? But there's this there's this transition that had to happen between like that thing that you like eating is gross to not only is that thing that you're eating delicious, but like, I'm also going to appropriate it and turn it into this other thing. And, and I think making that, you know, there's problems on either side, but, but having that kind of acceptance of a thing that's part of your culture, like having it brought to people to be understood, I feel like that's a thing that he did in a non-appropriate way, right? Like he was able to just go like, this is what people eat here. You may not have seen it in the United States, but like it's amazing and like we can appreciate it. And that's like a, that's him using the privilege that he has as like a, an American white guy with a lot of visibility that I think made a, makes a big impact for other groups, even if that's not why he was doing it. Right. Like he's got to get some credit for that of, of helping make that shift away from like, Oh, like that Asian dish is disgusting. I can't believe any people, anybody eats that. I I absolutely agree. And I mean, his shows were on Netflix for a while and then for some reason they were off Netflix and they, he was on, and they were on CNN for a while. Hmm. I mean, I think yeah, that's, that's actually right. where his show was on, and then was on Netflix. And I never watched the last ones because I didn't think I could handle the end. Mm, yeah. So the last ones that he recorded, I haven't watched. Yeah. Because I just can't do it. Yeah. But um, so those are some of our our um, rites of passage. Yeah. Stories. Those are fun to talk about. <laughs> they they are. I bet other. I bet our listeners have similar rites of passage, and maybe they'll share them on our socials. Would love, um, and we can continue the conversation because I think that especially for women, these sorts of things, especially women sharing things. My friend Kate, who is big Kate Spade fan, every year for Christmas, I get a new little Kate Spade present. Mm. little earrings a little one yeah. of those little stickers that goes on the back of the phone that you can put your credit card in yeah um 
a makeup case, like small things, but always a little Kate Spade thing. Yeah. Please, if you are staring on the socials, like send pictures. I'm going to find the picture of that orange coat from J. Crew, and we're going to post side by sides. But I want to see pictures of all of y'all's stuff, too. Yeah. Oh, man. I love that orange coat. Yeah. And I think I paid full price for it, too. I hope it's the same one. I I really hope we're just going to have side by sides (laughs) of like. No, no, mine didn't. Oh, so we maybe have different ones. Mine was the toggle coat, but it also had the hood Mm. with the fake fur. Interesting. Well, we'll see. Maybe I just took the fur off of mine. Because sometimes the hood might have come off. Yeah, I I might have taken the hood. Well, we'll see. Okay, we'll pull them out. Um, And now I do have a um, a news story to go along with purses. Um, And it's like a little bit of a lighter on a lighter note. And I won't read the whole thing. I'll just read like the highlights about it. Um, But it's a story from two years ago, almost to the day. Out of New Jersey, of all places. (laughs) I think it's appropriate. And I found it on Golf Digest. Nice. I know. I know. It was a deep dive. (laughs) Um, And Golf Digest, if you didn't know, which I did not, even though I actually have my own golf clubs now, which is a whole nother story. um, We're going to need to do a golf agenda because I got stuff to talk about. Yeah. Um, So uh, write that down that we'll do a golf agenda because I want to tell you about my golf clubs. But um, but Golf Digest has an ethicist, kind of like the way the New York Times does. Um, is it the New York you, know, York you, said New York that, Times? you said that at the beginning of the podcast, and I was like, that's silly. And now that I've thought about it, it absolutely makes sense yeah. that, that there's a golf ethicist. Yeah. There's a golf ethicist. Although this really has nothing to do with golf. It just has to do with a golf club, like a, a place where you play golf, not a, not a club. Yeah. Um, but it starts off with saying, it's fair to say if Mrs. Ethicist has heard a bad story about your private club in a non-adjacent state by listening to Howard Stern, you're doing the whole <laughs> managing of your professional reputation thing wrong. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. As soon as I read this line, it reminded me of you. Where to begin? Like many bad dates, it started with dinner. <laughs> Mariana Bader and her husband, Igor, were just another couple of members having a meal at Alpine Country Club, a New Jersey country club in the New York City suburbs known for its fine dining. Bader, a New Jersey real estate agent who specializes in luxury properties, carried with her to dinner her own display of ostentatious luxury, a $30,000 Hermes Kelly handbag her husband had given her for her 30th birthday. Because, of course... 30,000 for 30th, right? Oh, you oh no. Too, right? <laughs> I've literally never seen one of those bags in person. You know, I don't even, I guess we could probably Google it, but I, I'm going to guess neither one of us would like it. Um, and like your new and similarly priced Toyota Camry seems to <laughs> instantly attract stray shopping carts and door dings to the grocery store parking lot. So did Bader's vintage pink purse become a magnet for some trouble in the dining room. In a turn of events that must have played out in slow motion for everyone involved, this, this person's a great writer, a waiter spilled a glass of red wine on Bader's obtainium purse, leaving it with a dark stain. Unlike, say, the Camry, five-figure handbags don't carry collision insurance. So when the bag wasn't able to be cleaned, 
things got even messier than California Cabernet on French calfskin. After a year of wrestling with the club and its insurance company trying to get a resolution for the ruined bag, Bader sued Alpine in October for the purse's sticker price. The club doubled down in two ways that probably won't make it into the recruitment literature potential members or prospective service employees get when they come for an interview. First, it responded to the suit by saying it wasn't responsible for compensating Bader for the damaged bag, which it said might not be authentic or worth what Bader claimed. (laughs) It also took the bold step of filing a cross-complaint against its own waiter, who isn't identified in any of the filings, saying that if anyone should be financially responsible for the bag, it should be the waiter. (laughs) So bad. I can't even imagine one $30,000 bag that you take to the golf club to show off. Yeah. And it gets ruined and no one will take responsibility for it. And somehow it's the waiter's fault. I mean, there's so much to say just with like, uh, uh, all right, continue, please. I'm going to get angry again. it It goes on. It finally says, but even if Ultimate financial responsibility for an accident like the one that doomed Bader's purse is a legal and moral gray area. The cost analysis involves way more than just divining replacement value for a rare bag and trying to get out of writing a painful check. A high-end club that caters to guests with $150,000 Bentleys parked in valet, $20,000 gold-plated Hanmas tucked away in bag storage, and yes, $30,000 Hermes handbag situated at the side of the table is doing it wrong if it's not trying to make it right when accidents happen. Mm-hmm. And then it says the ethicist doesn't have a degree in finance, but that math seems pretty simple. I agree, ethicist. Good take. But I thought that that was a, 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 a good way <laughs> to kind of end our sort of sad, poignant um, discussion about fitting in. And I mean, but I mean, that woman was just trying to fit into all with all those people with her $30,000 bag. But I mean, $30,000 is more than half of what my first house cost. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me, like, I do not like I feel so rich. I mean, I think objectively, I'm a rich person at this point. But I I will run into circles through work of like incredibly wealthy people who fly on private jets and and all of this stuff and you look at the wealth in those kinds of circles and it's like unfathomable even to me where I feel like I I make so much more money than I need at this point you know like I can't imagine trying to fit in I I so I'll tell a short story here I did a speaking event. Um, Microsoft flew me out. I've done two very like high-end events at Microsoft. They have a thing called the CEO Summit, which is the CEOs of the Fortune 500 are invited. Not their representatives, just them. This is where I had dinner at Bill Gates's house because he had the CEOs over to his house and I got to go. Um, so I did that event. And then they also have a like a CIO summit, which is the same thing, but for the chief information officers. And I I was invited to speak at both of those. And then you go to all the events and you have dinner with the people. And I remember at the CIO summit, we went to some winery for dinner. And so it's me and these CIOs like sitting at a table and we were talking about 
cars that we were buying because I had just bought my first Jeep. It was the first car I had bought for myself and I bought it new. And it was like, I had saved up for like five years to buy this car. I was so excited. And then to like hear them talking like about these cars that they were buying that were, you know, I think that Jeep cost like $30,000, which was a ton of money. It took me so mm-hmm. long to afford it. And then they're, they're like, oh, yeah, my wife wanted this one and it was like $200,000. I'm like, oh, the package on this is $50,000. I was like, that package costs more than my car. I'm like, I can't even have a conversation with these people about like a kind of normal thing. I, I, I'm, I would not sue the golf club over that bag, but like, it's gotta be so hard if you're like just edging into access to that space to then try to fit into it. Or you're just an asshole and you have tons of money and you can right. easily buy that $30,000 bag and you're just mad but about even it. even then to then have the club say, well, you know what? We're not even sure it's a real bag. <laughs> oh, oh. Like, the- do you think they would have done that if that was like a, a guy and his watch watch right yeah like do you think that that and then i mean this was the the upshot of this article was that the reason the ethicist even heard about this was because she heard it on howard stern's show which goes out to like 32 million people yeah (laughs) it wasn't really worth it to the golf club to to be that awful to that like i mean i don't i'm not i don't i don't you know i wouldn't if I don't care how much money I had. I probably wouldn't bring a $30,000 bag to dinner. Um, mostly because it's probably really small and you know how <laughs> much I need a giant bag for all my stuff. I don't care how much money I have. I will always need a freaking tote bag for snacks. Because some things, no matter how much money you have, you will never forget. Worry being worried about where your next meal is coming from. You need a granola bar, even if right. you have a billion dollars. Exactly. And you know, and all kinds of little talismans and, and 17 different hippos in your bag. But, but I just can't, I can't believe they would have done that to some dude. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, they, so- they spilled the glass of wine on his like $30,000 vintage Rolex. And yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. They think the bag is silly and the Rolex isn't. Right. And yeah. who knows, maybe she was really, really unpleasant. I mean, I mean, who knows, right? We don't know. The The story yeah. doesn't say that she was really difficult to deal with, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because okay. it seems like the club was far more difficult. Yeah, indeed. And that poor waiter. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I hope he has a new job someplace that's like paying him better in his I know. Nights. We should make him an honor. We should find him and make him an honorary gen. Yeah, done. <laughs> yeah. The fi- not the finding, but the making. That would be a fun thing for us to do is to just um, find people who get screwed by circumstances that are beyond their control and call them up and just say, just want to let you know, we've made you an honorary gen. doesn't come with anything but cachet. We could get them like a printable certificate. A t-shirt. Yeah. 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 I mean, they have to claim the t-shirt, but we'll make them one. A tote bag. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. We'll work on it. It's in the budget for the podcast. Yeah, I, I'll start working on some artwork. Excellent. <laughs> okay. So, um, oh, it's, oh, did do you have a consume? Are we consuming? We have consumables. Yeah, we do. So, um, we Hang on, I got to take my braces out to eat this. We picked something bright and cheerful, like Kate Spade, um, for the podcast. Yeah. 
And I'm going to give you three seconds to guess what it is, listeners. Ten coleslaw picked. And here, can you hear? Can you hear? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> can you hear what it is? Do you think people have guessed? I, I mean, since they know you picked, they better have guessed. It's a sumo citrus. I had bought like half a dozen and ate them all. And then when we decided that we were going to do this podcast, I bought more today. I sent Ingo to the grocery store. I was like, you got to get the groceries this morning because I need my sumo to eat with Jen Coleslaw on the agenda. Well, we had to go out and get more sumos too because we had two boxes. Yeah. <laughs> and we ate them all. And so I got two bags at Trader Joe's, which I think has the best price of them, by the way. Um at least in Northern Virginia. Um, and if you don't know what a sumo citrus is, they only come out in January, generally. They're ugly looking oranges with a knob on top, but that just makes them really, really easy to open. And they are like clementines, but twice the size, sometimes three times the size. It's like the size of a grapefruit. It's big. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. And... And but sweet and no seeds. Yep. Not like a mandarin, which is masquerading as a clementine, and then all of a sudden you get a mouthful of seeds. Yep. Sumo citrus. Delish. Mm. I'm eating my. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And it's like they could not have picked something more delightful for January. Mm hmm. It's like eating sunshine. You, you get like. lots of sunshine where you are. but And it was nice here today, but the weather's been kind of crappy here because there's been no snow. So it's been gray and dark and kind of depressing and kind of damp, but not really damp. But the sumos really make a huge difference. This will be sure. the third one I've eaten today. It's so good. I got to stop. I'm going to eat the whole thing, mm. which I mean, I will do when we're done. But you don't need to hear me chewing the whole <laughs> because they're very big. It'll take a while. They're so good. And then we throw the peels down the garbage disposal. Oh, and then you have like a whole orange scented kitchen. Right? That's really right? nice. And the orange oil helps clean the garbage disposal too. So This is a good tip for people who are kind of new to garbage disposals about cleaning them and then citrus oils in there. Yeah. Yeah. When we use um, like we got a, an air fryer for Christmas from my sister. Mm, and we used nice. it for the first time and we made like a little chicken thing and um, Ben made this really delicious uh, yogurt and with lemon juice sauce to go mm. on top of the chicken. And uh, I cut the other lem the, the lemon that he squeezed to make the lemon juice up and threw that down the disposal. It's good. It makes your sink smell good. It cleans it out. Yeah. Like I run some ice through there and then citrus. Peel. Yeah. Ice is a good thing too to throw down there. It'll sharpen your blades. Yeah. I mean, especially if you, like, we don't put any grease or anything down ours just because we'll, yeah. we just throw it in the, in a can and throw it in the trash because, you know, we've got old sewer here. But now that we have that new sewer pipe, I guess we could throw like a whole cat down there. And it would <laughs> but don't do that. It was, it was like this, like you couldn't even get a penny through there. It was so bad. But so we never put anything in our disposal. It was only stuff that snuck down there by mistake. Mm -hmm. But now um, we can actually use it. Although we tend to compost most of our yeah. uh, food. so uh, But we don't put citrus in your compost because it's got too much acid. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. So disposal. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
I think the listener mailbag is next, right? I think it is. I think it's your turn to ask. That's great. I love asking. Um, a thing that that we have alluded to so many times, but you've never talked about is what is your job? Like I've talked about mine a ton, but what is your like career, your job job? So my job job is to be an environmental advocate. Um, I run a nonprofit in um, Northern Virginia that works on... Uh, <laughs> I'm eating sumos while Jen you're talking. Jen is shoveling <laughs> orange slices into her face. Um, that works on very specific issues around plastic pollution, um, microplastics in the water, uh, litter that gets into the streams, that gets into the rivers, that go into the bay. Um, so what I work on is trying to figure out ways to keep all of that plastic uh, out of the woods and the rivers and the streams. Um, I work on fighting bad legislation that encourages more plastic pollution and encouraging good legislation that encourages, you know, uh, reuse and extended producer responsibility, which is making um, companies like Amazon or Staples, when they send you a gigantic box full of packing macaroni or plastic, when they're just sending you one toner cartridge, yeah, um, to have to take back their materials, have responsibility for some of their materials. And it's sort of happening, you know, like, um, you know, you can you can send your iPhone back to Apple, you can recycle your toner cartridges and things like that. Um, but it needs to sort of happen on a much bigger scale Mm -hmm. um, in order for it to be useful. So, so I work on environmental things. I have a master's in public administration, um, which served to tell me I never wanted to work in public administration. I like working in nonprofit and, um, So I give talks about sustainability. Uh, We are right in the middle of the legislative session for Virginia. So I uh, sometimes will get asked to talk about what people can do to um, push pieces of legislation along or stall bad legislation. Uh, Give a lot of talks at senior centers and schools, um, rotary clubs, and Basically, my father used to joke, he would say that I would go to the opening of an envelope because I love <laughs> public speaking so much. And I'm kind of excited because I have a couple of public speaking uh, events coming up. Um, and because I'm a nonprofit, I don't charge for my time. I just hope there's a snack. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's what I do. And then I have a little side hustle where I help my friend who is opening, has opened a veterinary hospital and I work on all their social media and I work on putting graphics together for them and I run their Facebook account and uh, that's more of a labor of love. And I also get a good discount at the vet office. Uh, and They're I the ones pet took- all kinds of animals like a possum. There was a possum. A possum. Yeah. Fern. So I got to spend time with Fern, who was really awesome. This so is, that it. is what I do. Poss- I am a, and then I, I do podcasting. Yeah, you do. I was just <laughs> chiming in that uh, the hospital you work at is the one who helped get Cheds fixed on short notice when he came to us for Foster. Yes, he's Doctor Smith is awesome about short notice things and he's rescue. Great. He's like the most. A lot of rescues go to to him. In fact, that's he's the vet for the rescue that rescued ladybug and waffles and bb before ladybug and waffles yep so that's good. what i do you're fighting the good fight i'm trying uh and i tell you as bad 
you know, I always say that really, really bad administrations are job security. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, sad, so but true. It's sad, but true. Um, so we have a terrible one here in Virginia, so I'm plenty busy. That's good, sort of. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're busy. <laughs> I hope you win. Well, we don't win them all, but we just as long as we win some of them. Yeah. So the second question is one that we get asked a lot, and it's, uh, who would you consider an enemy of the podcast? Oh, my goodness. Um, mansplainers. Oh, so many. Um, anybody who... Um, any, an enemy of the podcast is anyone who takes like one tiny thing that we have said, an offhand thing, you know, like this is, we have an outline that we look at, mm -hmm. like this one today we, we put together in the last 24 hours. Um, and so a lot of our comments are kind of offhand, Yep. but someone that might take something that we say in an offhand comment and, and take it completely without context as if they didn't hear anything before or after it. That is an enemy of the podcast. Can I give you like one specific person who does that kind of thing that like I just encountered in a whole Twitter weekend Twitter drama that I caught up on today Ooh, that I think perfectly captured this. All right. So this black woman and the fact that she's black is relevant to the story tweeted out this weekend that she went, to, she was making cookies and she went to the store and they were out of all butter except Kerrygold butter. So she bought it oh and made her God. cookies and she's like, you guys, I'm never baking with anything again other than Kerrygold butter. Everything turned out so much better and it tastes so good. So she had the celebratory tweet that basically just said that. Oh, the cookies. They, they looked great, right? She, and she had pictures of all the stuff that she baked. And then there was this sort of love fest for Kerrygold butter and a lot of Irish people chiming in about like butter. And we talked about like, I mean, I the people talked about how, oh yeah, like the fat content is higher in European butter than American butter. And then this one girl, Maria, young, young I don't know how old she was, woman <gasps> chimes in and Maria's like, <laughs> Maria. And she's like, uh, isn't there butter that you could get from like Wisconsin or Arizona or not Arizona, Vermont? Uh, or she, I, I think it might. She, mind she butter shamed her. She butter shamed her. Yeah. Cause she's like, Ireland is being overrun with cows and they're destroying the environment. And, uh, it's also dumb to ship butter around the world. And so couldn't you get some butter from someplace closer? And the original poster is like, you can fuck right off with that noise. Like she's great. I follow her now. She's sassy. Well, I'll figure out what her handle is and put it in the comments. And the, the Maria comes back in and is like, uh, as an indigenous person, I find it, you know, really, you know, like a form of violence that you're ruining the country of Ireland by doing this. Um, you know, colonialism is bad. And, and this, the black woman who's like, she's coming at me on MLK weekend, a black woman and telling me that like using Kerrygold butter is a form of colonialism and anti-indigenous and like racist. Like I didn't have that on my 2023 bingo card. And it was just, it was so Twitter, right? Like I love this Irish butter that I bought at the store and it made my cookies better. And someone coming in and being like, you're destroying the state of Ireland. Um, you're anti-climate, you're ruining the planet. You're also anti-indigenous and pro-colonial because you're using Kerrygold butter. It was like a mad, it was like Maria had a mad lib. Yeah. Where she just filled in 
the indignation. The only thing it was missing was ableist, which is another one that pops up a lot yes, in it does. perplexing contexts on Twitter. Not that ableism is good, but there's a lot of things where it's like, you did that thing and that's ableist. And I'm like, I I am pro-disability rights and I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I actually yeah. remember a several day long beef against a cat. <laughs> oh, George the cat about the Instacart shopping. (laughs) And it was, it wasn't about the Instacart shopping. It was about how the original poster (sighs) went to the store to confront her shopper. So the, the context of this is, yes, someone's like, my Instacart shopper said this thing's out of stock. And I was so, kept saying all this stuff was out of stock. And I was so mad because I knew it wasn't true that I went to the store and yelled at them. And George the cat, which is like a pro labor account, is like, shop for your own damn groceries if you're going to go yell at people who are doing work for you. That That's essentially the starting context. Yeah. And, and, and every, um, oh my God. everyone who is, a, likes to throw around ableist it, and in any context came for jorts that day. Yeah. And for days after. Oh yeah. And I was just like, but did you, did you, did you not see like the very, fr- like they did not see the first. Oh, and the one about the chili. I don't know. The, oh, the woman the, who the was one? worried that the college boys who lived near her weren't eating. So she wanted, was thinking about making them a big pot of chili. Okay. So I do remember that tweet that she was going to make them chili, but I don't remember what came after. Oh, the the oh, it was it was crazy, Jen. <laughs> Everyone jumped in to say that she had white lady savior. Oh no. That she didn't it, it was you she was putting labor on them by showing up with food that they would have to heat up. How did <laughs> she know that they liked chill like what if they didn't eat beans? Like it was just one miserable Like, and like, I'm all for calling people out on their bullshit. I do it all the time. But like, this was just, this was, this went on for days. Like the, like the George thing. And it was just like, he was calling her out for showing up at his workplace and yelling at him. Not for using Instacart. That's right. If you're disabled and can't shop for your own groceries, you're not going to drive to the grocery store and yell at the Instacart worker. Well, and even if you are, you should just have a little situational awareness about, like, maybe he's, maybe he's having a, a, maybe he's not well-abled, you know, like, let's show some grace here. Listen, I use Instacart all the time. We, We can't get it delivered here, so we have to go pick it up. The weird shit that I get from Instacart shoppers as substitutes, <laughs> like sometimes we'll just be in the pantry and Ingo's like, why do we have clam juice? And I'm just like, it was an Instacart substitution. Like you can throw it out, but like, I didn't want to yell at the guy. Like I gave him five stars, like always, because right. like they're doing a crappy job and people yell at those Instacart shoppers. Like the shit that they have to deal with, I think is like the shit that like waiters have to deal with in restaurants like you just get everybody's nonsense i'm like it's that's fine just i think I, would like being in, I think that if the bottom fell out of the environmental movement and suddenly there was no litter for me to worry about <laughs> that'd be I great would love to be an instacart shopper 
<laughs> like I love grocery shopping. So that would be like so much fun. And, you know, I'm also super passive aggressive. So I'd probably figure out ways <laughs> to like people who were problematic would end up with a lot of clam juice, <laughs> you know, or um, that clam beer. Oh, yeah. Gross. Yes, that is gross. But yeah, so people who do that sort of thing, we don't have a lot of that. Every now and no. then, we might somebody might pipe in, somebody might say something, um, or um, I think we're lucky. I think my platform is small enough, so I don't have a lot of that, but I see it on your platform. It, it happens sometimes. With and the dogs. Yeah, I... I if I'm in a good mood, I'll give a very genuine good faith response and give them one chance to fix it. Um, and sometimes I just block. And if they if they don't fix themselves after the good faith response, then I block too. So I, a, a lot of those people just get eliminated because I think it's a certain kind of person. I mean, some of us will end up doing that just on given circumstances, but I think most of the time it's like a certain kind of person who wants to make that kind of drama. Yeah. I mean, I, I've certainly gone into sniper mode only to find someone was being sarcastic. Oh yeah. And then <laughs> I've done like, that a couple oh, of times. My gosh, I am so sorry. Yeah. I apologize a hundred times over. I'm going to follow you, unfollow you, follow you, unfollow you. Like I'm going to like, what can I do? Here's a cat. <laughs> Like, I feel so bad when I am snarky to someone. I'm rarely mean to someone unless you're like a, a elected official. And then I sort of feel like all gloves are off. But, but I am, if I'm snarky to someone and they're like, you, you know, <laughs> I, if you look down my timeline, you'll see that we are fighting for the same thing. And I'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I apologize. But um, but more often now I will check. Yeah. And then if if they're not arguing in good faith, I don't even bother. Yeah. Like, I I don't even bother responding. I just block them immediately. It's it's so satisfying. I get I get a lot of those on my professional account. Like all the anti COVID people have been coming at me like the last few weeks, and it's just like block 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 block. None of you actually want to talk to me. Block block block. Anyway, I kind of like it when somebody that I follow and have mad respect for says something incendiary and all the crazy people come out because then it's just a block fest. Yeah. It's like, Oh, look at the opportunity to keep all these people from ever talking to me. Right. Someday I'm going to be famous and they're never going to have access to my content is how I look at it. They're losing out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I could swallow that before I started talking, but no, it's, it's like past dinner time at my house. So all right. Well, I'm going to let you go then. Um, all right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. Um, send us pictures of your Kate Spade stuff or your other favorites. Yeah, things that tell- were your rites of passages. We want to see them. Yeah. And hear the um, stories. Yeah. D- email them, tweet them. You know how to find us. Yeah. And uh, until next time, be gentle with one another. But very hard on the systems of oppression. Bye. Bye-bye.